Hello, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Good to talk to you again. Always a pleasure. It's great to be back. I'm wondering how the wildlife is up at your cottage. Oh, well, you know, I, um, I didn't make it up last weekend because I'm, I'm like the luckiest guy in the world. I came down with a cold in the middle of COVID. Oh. Now, where I got well, a cold. Well, you are lucky. It's not yeah, Well, exactly. And, you know, I, I went and found myself. Uh, I, I was go going to go up to the cottage. We usually go up on the weekend. And it's not, you know, it's like two hours away. It's not a big deal. But I just wasn't feeling it. And it was supposed to rain. Uh, so I thought, you know, I'll stick around. And by, by Saturday, I was in a full-blown nose running, hacking like a maniac cold. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's 33 degrees out. And, uh, you know, and I go outside and I still feel chilly. So it's one of those really good colds. But on Saturday, I went in and got myself COVID tested because I want to be responsible. I don't want if it's if it's not a cold, uh, I don't want to be spreading it to anybody. So I went in and I thought, you know, they're going to do that little that new modified test they do, which is they put a little Q-tip around the edge of your nostril. And uh, yeah. and it was like, no, put your head back. And they had like a, a bathroom uh, toilet brush and they stick that up your nose and right to, right to the back of uh, you know, yeah. tickles your brain. And, and they wish it around there. And they said to do a five count, but it was actually like one, <laughs> two. And it's like, oh, come on, this is like 30 seconds here. And pulled it. Anyway, I don't want to discourage anyone from getting a COVID test if they think uh, they are all very. The COVID test I had was the the gentle swab. This is the only one I've ever had. It's the first one. The whole pandemic, I've I've never had. I haven't been sick a day of the pandemic until until last week, and I started like just being really unpleasant to be around. I mean, more more so than usual. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm on the last day of it here, so you know if if I go dead silent uh, while we're doing our podcast, it's because I'm over here hacking my guts up. Where, with well, where did they get it? Protecting like, themselves. Yeah, like, where did you? Get I a wash cold? my hands like a maniac. I wear a mask. I mean, aside from my family who doesn't go anywhere either, I, I have no idea where I caught this thing, um, because you know, you usually, usually ca you catch a cold from other people. You don't yeah. just catch it, it from just you know, spontaneously. Uh, no. occur. No, and uh, so like it is entire mystery. So somebody in my incredibly limited. I think I had one lunch last week. And as far as I know, the yeah. other person is absolutely just fine. Yeah, but um, the server. Oh, maybe he coughed in my food. I don't know. Should have been a better T tipper. Touched your plate. Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? Anyway. Right. Well, I'm so sorry, anyway, sorry that, you're, that you're ill. And it also makes you a pariah if you go out anywhere, because as soon as you cough, people automatically assume you got to have the COVID. Yeah, well, good news is it ain't the COVID. I mean, I'm double vaccinated and all that kind of stuff too, but that doesn't seem to be uh, helping some people. Um, and uh, but uh, you know, it it could be a lot worse. So I'm just uh, drinking. I went to Dairy Queen today and got a freezy, and uh, that really helped a lot. I think it's full of vitamins. <laughs> the green well, ones are anyway. <laughs> well, uh, it's full of something. I think that's sugar. <laughs> that's why I feel so cold, good. I love sugar. Oh, who am I kidding? I love sugar when love I love sugar have a all the time. Yeah, my only vice. <laughs> um, speaking of vices and uh, people who uh, can't seem to get away from from something, uh, that's a clumsy uh, segue into talking about Andrew Cuomo, the now uh, well soon to be former governor of New York, who a an independent inquiry found had sexually harassed a number of women. 11 women. Uh, yeah. Some of them that we know comments, of. that we know of some of them through comments, some of them through physical contact. He was resisting resigning. But when the senators from your state say you should resign, 
and the president, who is of the same party, says you should resign, you have you lack the political capital to be able to get anything done. Like he'd yep. have no oomph. He'd be he'd have no powers of persuasion because he's a he's a lame duck. So he finally saw the writing on the wall, which that writing was there in glowing paint colors weeks ago. But he relented and he has resigned and leading to the first what will be the first female governor of New York, which is rather when I read that, I was like, that's a you know what? They're right. But I was amazed. I, I thought it's so strange to me that in majority Muslim countries, they've elected female heads of state and, and, and legislators, uh, you know, for to, to lead provinces. And, and here in Canada, we've done the provinces thing, but we haven't done so much the the head of state. We, we know, well, head of state is the queen. We haven't done the prime ministership other than that brief summer job that Kim Campbell had. And uh, the fact that uh, a state as cosmopolitan as New York hasn't had a female governor, it just sort of stunned me. No, it, and, you know, and Como himself, I mean, he really represents old guard New York. Uh, I mean, he's really, his behavior and just his 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 stick to itiveness in trying to tough this thing out, and you know, there's only one way it was going to go. I mean, he toughed it out. I mean, he managed to survive, you know, the early part of his mishandling of COVID, and uh, which resulted in the deaths of tons and tons of seniors who got you know moved into the wrong column of the of the death thing. So it looked like the long term care homes were uh, were not as bad as they were under him. I mean, he survived that, but he thought he could tough this thing out because. You know, you see him do his interviews, and it's really unclear to me whether or not he gets it, whether he not he really thinks that this is a big deal and it was wrong. I mean, he said it was. He said the words, uh, and you know, all of us would agree. Yeah, it, it's it's really wrong, but you wonder whether or not it really resonates with him because he comes from this 1950s madmen kind of culture where you know you surround yourself with pretty girls and it's part of the job to put up with the boss's advances and the world hasn't been like that mostly for a while uh you know my wife will tell you stories about uh, about uh, judges and uh, senior lawyers chasing her around the table and that wasn't that long ago it's so uh, you know sexual harassment is still a daily uh, daily challenge and insult to women uh, you know in, in the most progressive jurisdictions but como really i think lives in the past where he goes like so what what i'm being friendly what's your problem right and, and the old uh Mel Brooks thing. It's good to be the king. Good to be the king. Yeah, where he could indulge himself in whatever. Now, I mean, here, here's somebody born to power. He's part of a political dynasty. He's the son of Mario Cuomo, who was governor of New York and was uh, cited a number of times as a potential candidate for the Democrats uh, running for president. He never actually took that step. But uh, Andrew Cuomo's uh, name has been spoken about in pre presidential terms you know it's been floated around when people are looking for for candidates they've mentioned his name he for for him to have just soiled a political history like the cuomo family had is uh, he's got to not get it he really has to not get it i think i'm with you that he doesn't get it because if he got it and he realized he would be ending his political political future 
ending any political future his uh, brother might have and spoiling the Cuomo name going forward. If he really realized that, I don't think he would have done what he did. But I really think he felt that what he did was just boys being boys uh, or locker room talk, as they put it during the uh, Trump administration. And that, uh, come on, nobody was really hurt by this. Uh, I'm giving you attention. You should feel flattered. All those old nonsensical ways of explaining away horrendous behavior and completely intolerable behavior. So I think that he has to have been raised in a bubble, uh, a bubble which gave him an unusual degree of arrogance and a feeling of you know being to the manner born and that he continued to, to be surrounded by psychophants and enablers while he was in politics and that he really was just that out of touch with reality, which makes you wonder what kind of governor can he really be if he's so out of touch with the times? Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, I, the way that he toughed it out for as long as he did really speaks to, you know, I, I think his obliviousness to the wrongness of it at a certain level, but also the privilege and power that, you know, he comes from a dynasty, like you say, and uh, he figured he could get away with it uh, or that he could ride it out at some point. Otherwise, he would have resigned, you know, when these things first came up. Uh, and when first, you know, first time there were credible calls for his uh, for his uh, resignation. But he really thought that uh, because of his privilege and power that he could ride this thing out and it would go away at some point. And people are, are, are very quick, especially in the uh, in the United States, to point out the, you know, the difference. You know, I, I, I'm not sure if it's falling along political lines that, you know, when when Democrats get caught with this stuff. Uh, you know, there's, and uh, yeah, and both parties get caught with this stuff, obviously. But uh, when Democrats do, eventually, a lot of them end up resigning, or you know, or there's enough of a, a groundswell within their own party that they resign. But then you got people like uh, like like Matt Gates walking around, uh, and he's uh, you know got a incredibly uh, shady history when it deal uh, with underage women and prostitutes and cocaine parties and that kind of stuff. I mean, there, there's a whole list. Jim Jordan, uh, you know, has a has a scandal uh, you know, that 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 has, that doesn't seem to dog him nearly enough um, about uh, about you know standing idly by while uh, boys are being uh, abused uh, in the locker room. Uh, there's but the Republicans have no shame when it comes to this kind of stuff, and they close ranks because again for them power is more important than than morality and principle and their image, and uh, they figure that they've got the blind obedience of enough of their supporters that they can actually get away with it, whereas. Democrats, uh, you know, the maybe not the first whiff of scandal, scandal, but the second whiff of scandal, uh, you know, they fold and, uh, and 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 fall on their swords. Yeah, the I mean, the Republicans have become. Uh, I, I'm trying. I'm struggling for the most apt term to describe them, but uh, malodorous is is one word that springs to mind. They are unprincipled because uh, power for power's sake is not a principle. They have abandoned any of their conservative principles that they once held and, and, and championed from the rooftops. Now they don't care what somebody has done, a congressman, a senator, a president, as long as 
it maintains their grip on power, they will put up with just about anything, including uh, credible stories of, you know, trafficking with uh, in underage girls, uh, having sex with underage girls, cocaine parties. They, these people, they have, they really have no shame. They will stand right out in front of the cameras and make announcements about this, that, or the other thing without, as if there, there had never been any hint of scandal. Like they just won't address it. Well, and, and then, then they go on the chat. Yeah. And they champion morality causes all the time, whether it's abortion or, or you know, that uh, they, they just, they take the moral high ground when it comes to, you know, beating up on other people, you know, family and God and faith and all that kind of stuff. And they're always front and center for those issues. It's the hypocrisy that, that, yeah, I, I can't understand, um, you know, again, I, there's, there's lots of stuff I don't understand about American politics. I don't know how, how uh, Governor Ron DeSantis uh, sleeps at night when people, you know, and people are dying in, the, in their droves in Florida right now. And it's really clear what they're dying from. And you specifically go out and you make the situation worse. And you know you're making it worse because the numbers go up and more people are dying. It's like, well, how, this isn't even right or left. This is just stupid and, and you know, criminally immoral uh, that you are actually causing harm to your citizens. Um, but, you know, I'm guessing he's got polling somewhere that says that's popular, um, at least among his supporters. Um, it's, it, it's it, you know, it beggars belief how some people are able to have this mindset where they are able to, to do these terrible things and still feel that they're on the side of the angels. And I wonder if DeSantis or Gates feels they're on the side of angels. I suspect they think that the concept of angels and devils is for dupes. And what matters is power and being in a position of power and influence. I don't think they care one whit about what's right or wrong. I don't think they operate in those paradigms. They operate in the paradigm like Trump did does of what I can get away with, what I can't get away with. Yeah. And, and what works. Yeah. And they know that their politics has been exposed, especially in the United States over the past four or five years as being a, a game where nobility and uh, the, the, uh, the concept of shame no longer exist. Like it was, it, it was assumed before that you know, if you disgrace yourself, you will resign. Now you disgrace yourself, and there's actually no no means to force you to resign, and so you don't. And so what's the what's the fallout? Well, maybe you don't get reelected, uh, but in the meantime, you're still in a position of power, and you you basically outrun and outlast the allegations if you can. So, yeah, actually, you, you just tough it out as long as you possibly can and hope that the, you know, the next crisis is somebody down the road and is worse than yours and uh, the focus goes on that. And to get back to Cuomo for a moment, I think that the encouraging thing about all this is that it shows there is still something in American politics and some front of American politics where right and wrong do matter and it the issue of the mistreatment of women is being taken seriously again 
not by the Republicans like Matt Gates, but there, I mean, as powerful a person as Andrew Cuomo is, to be taken down by allegations by women, it shows that this isn't the era anymore where women are disbelieved or dismissed. I mean, I'm sure it's, I'm sure that it still happens. You can't claim that it doesn't happen. It happens, I'm sure, every single day. But the public perception is that it is wrong. And it's always been wrong, but wrong with a small W. Now it's wrong with a big W. And it's got the, the ability, uh, these charges of, of impropriety with women, has the ability to take down even some of the most powerful figures in the land. So it is good to see that these uh, cases of you know, sexual impropriety, of, of improper comments, improper touches, it's taken seriously enough to take down a Cuomo. Yeah, and... You know, and like you said, there there was a time when you could just stonewall one of these things for, forever. And you know, Trump was was famous for this because uh, you know hardly anything has landed on him, and he used the presidency as a shield. But uh, you know, when there was uh, allegations, he paid money to shut people up. He smeared them. He sent lawyers on them. Uh, he did uh, you know all kinds of incredibly creative legal things. Like someone was going to sell their story to the uh, National Enquirer. Uh, about uh, about uh, sexual relations uh, uh, with uh, you know, unwanted sexual relations with uh, with Trump, and uh, you know you buy the you buy their exclusive rights to the story, and then you never publish it, but you own the rights, so they can never tell the story again. Uh, there, you know, there, it, it's it it does happen all all the time, unfortunately. And you know, hush money is paid, and people are threatened and bullied, and uh, you know, run around in court. And you know, you you know, if you got deep enough pockets, even though the publicity is bad, if you could you know live through the publicity, you can bankrupt somebody who brings these kinds of allegations uh, just by dragging them through court forever and ever and ever. Um, and in the hope that they, eventually they go away, or again, you know, people just forget about it. But it's you know. I like to think that uh, that we're moving on. I think there are a lot of examples of this that still still go on. And I think Mario Como, again, coming from a position of privilege and power and just a, a, a mindset that just, I mean, I, I'm not, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not sure how old uh, Como is. Um, if he's, uh, you know, is he in his fifties? Yeah. Uh, you know, and there's a really good question here. Um, here, we're both Googling at the same time. Yes. Um, but, uh, you know, I'll let you do it. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, but he's, he's just, he's not that old, I don't think. Um, uh, but it's uh, not a matter of age. It's a matter of what. Holy cats. He's only a couple of years older than me. Um, how old but, is he? Uh, well, then I'd have to tell you how old I am. No, he's 63. He's 63. Okay. Yeah. The, so that's so... not, you know, that's not like, old world he's born in 1957 okay he's born in the 50s but uh you know he grew up through the 60s and 70s and you know grew up in an era where you know you ought to know better um you know it's not like you know, you know people used to go on about biden this doesn't make any excuses for biden about him you know touching touching women and and, and kissing them and stuff like that well but you know biden's got 20 years on como and uh it's 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 a generational thing, but Como can't even 
pretend that he's part of that 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 enfeebled old generation where you know movies were a nickel and uh, you know it, it was it was fine to, to to steal a kiss from somebody um you know and, and he's been in politics for a long time so you think you'd, you'd learn a thing or two but um, you know, he but he does have all these like really old-fashioned sexist attitudes that just came out every time he spoke in his own defense um that that you wonder how many of those people are out there and the answer i think is far too many well and how many politicians live in a rarefied air bubble where they just aren't up to date with the zeitgeist of society they're just not aware of the evolution in attitudes because they are people who probably don't have the time to surf the internet, read newspapers, read uh, news sites. Uh, they're, they're kept away from all of these sources by their job and by their aides who dilute or present th through a filter the news that's going on. They, uh, they can very much be sheltered from the realities that the rest of us face and the realities that have evolved over time. And, you know, there's, in my lifetime, there has been more evolution in attitudes at a faster clip than I think any generation uh, felt prior to, to my generation. The, the change in attitudes on drinking and driving, the change in attitudes on smoking, the change in attitudes on now how to you know how to treat women the respect due to women uh oh ethnic humor eth um, ethnic humor uh so many things have shifted and some of those things have shifted dramatically within the last 10 15 years yeah which when you look at the, the course of history that's a blip in in history and yet so much has changed i can understand some people at the tail end of their lives, not being able to, to read the tea leaves properly because they're probably not involved day to day with the real world the same way uh, people who are younger are. And some of them, their attitudes are just too old to change. And this is not an excuse for behavior or attitudes, but it is a reason for them. Mm -hmm. um, but people, somebody like Cuomo, is young enough and has spent the majority of his political life uh, in times that were a changing. So there's no excuse for what no. he did. I think he just figured he'd get away with it because he's a Cuomo. Yeah, well, and, you know, in that same club, uh, only maybe a little more elevated is uh, Prince Andrew, who, uh, you know, has, was was hit with a lawsuit this week. I mean, it's a long, long, long time coming because it's, you know, the the, the uh, incident is uh, is over 20 years old, but it, it's not the it's not the first and it's not the only incident, too. And, uh, you know, he's you know, the question is, well, is he going to testify? Well, no, of course, he's not going to testify. He's not going to come to the United States to uh, to defend himself. He's going to uh, find some nice non extraditable place to uh, have his vacations he's you know i'm sure he i'm sure the uh the skiing is great in dubai this time of year uh he's uh you know he's going to go to well he's going to be an international pariah he's just not going to be able to defend himself and he's uh because you know his his 
the risk is far too great for him. Uh, of, of well, there's not, no winning. Even if no. he's found not guilty, he still yeah. loses. Yeah, well, and the odds of him being found not guilty in the United States are pretty slim, I think. Uh, you know, I read an interesting uh, article that said there's an opportunity to say, well, no, I, I shouldn't be uh, I shouldn't be tried in uh, the United States. I should be tried in uh, have the case transferred to England, which I don't think he particularly want either, because the British press is pretty, uh, pretty vicious, too. But uh, the uh, the British courts, their, their standard of evidence is slightly different and uh, he's more likely to get an acquittal if it is transferred to England. But it would still mean he'd have to testify. Um, but the. Uh, you know, again, a person of, of incredible wealth and privilege. Actually, I actually met him once. Uh, and I can tell you that uh, at the event, he he couldn't get out of the event fast enough because apparently he had a hot date somewhere. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was, I think it was a military event that he was, he was at and uh, he was shaking hands with a, at a furious pace because uh, he had a car waiting out front to whisk him somewhere. So he, he certainly likes the ladies, but uh, you know, the, the allegations against him are pretty, pretty, pretty terrible. Um, so who knows, who knows right. what the truth is. I don't think we'll ever know necessarily, but there's uh, been a cloud over him ever since he was oh, linked to Jeffrey Epstein. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, th those aren't the kind of people you pal around with if, uh, if, if, if you're on the up and up. So Again, a life of privilege, person who thinks he can get away with it. And chances are he will get away with it. Uh, he may have to live in Scotland the rest of his life or, uh, or uh, you know, the British Virgin Islands or someplace. Not, not so bad if you're a royal, but uh, he will uh, just disappear from history, I think, pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. The royals are going to take him off the stage. You're not going to see him at uh, public events. I mean, you might see, you'll see him at when Queen Elizabeth finally passes. You'll see him at that funeral. But I don't think until then. You're going to see him at anything official. I think that he he can uh, count on no longer having to pump hands really quickly because they're not sending him to any events. So he's as you know he's he got what Prince William wanted is uh, removal of uh, royal duties, but he yeah. didn't get it in a good way. Yeah. No. Yep. He's he's free, but like you say, a, you know, a prisoner of a terrible uh, and uh, probably deserved re reputation. Oh, I'm sorry. I meant Prince Henry rather than Prince William. Yes. But I think people knew what I meant. Yes. Uh, let's talk about closer to home. We've talked about this, this supposed election, federal election coming down the pipe. It now seems like maybe it won't because what we discussed was Trudeau would have to put forward some legislation that was completely un unacceptable both to the left in the NDP and the right with the conservatives. And it's very difficult to find legislation that both of those parties would disagree with. You, you'll find one party or the other will disagree with it. It's hard, it's to, hard to offend it. everybody. <laughs> yeah, it's very difficult. And at the same time, you don't want any legislation that's going to offend people as the cause for your uh, calling an election because that sticks to you when you begin the election. So it is a, a sticky wicket for Trudeau trying to have an election now. I understand why he wants it. You look at the polls and, hey, I'd much rather have a majority government than have a minority government and have to deal with these clowns all the time. But now Jagmeet Singh has gone public with, basically he's on his hands and knees begging Justin Trudeau not to call an election, which puts the lie to the bravado 
the NDP has put forward. We're ready to fight an election. We have money. We're ready to fight an election. They don't have money and they're not ready to fight an election. So at this point, if I'm Trudeau, I would try to put through a bunch of stuff because the NDP will let it ride because they just can't afford to have an election. They know that the biggest group that supports them are millennials who do not who do not vote in great numbers. So what their poll numbers are will collapse or at least shrink in actual voting outcomes. But it's 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 interesting how first he he was talking about there shouldn't be an election. And then he takes the step of writing a letter to the governor general. And now he's appealing to Trudeau directly. He just please no election. And it just shows you the bad state the NDP is in federally. Well, and and I'm not sure that there was actually a rumor that was going around Ottawa today that uh, that uh, Trudeau had made an appointment to go and see the new governor general and and ask her to uh, dissolve parliament and call an election for sometime in September. Now, I, you know, I've, I've been watching all the feeds and I haven't seen anything. I think it was just just a rumor because, you know, Trudeau could um, go to the governor general and ask for an election, you know, on, on the basis of, of basically nothing in a minority situation. The tradition is that unless it's, unless you've just had an election, like in the last three months, um, the, the prime minister has the, uh, the right to go to the general and ask to have uh, a new election called and, you know, reshuffle the deck and the governor general's hands are tied and has to grant it. You know, there's all kinds of, you know, everyone's become a constitutional expert again on, on, on this. And I see uh, Democracy Watch, who, who do really great work, have been uh, going on and on about uh, about how the the, uh, the Governor General should say no to the uh, Prime Minister if he wants a, a new election, uh, because you know he he has so far um, you know managed to to not be defeated. And uh, but uh, you know, I saw Andrew Coyne had an article saying no, the prime minister doesn't have the right to call an election. A lot of constitutional scholars say, yeah, that would cause a real constitutional crisis if the governor general thwarted the will of the of the prime minister and the the duly elected government. Um, you know, so I think Trudeau could um, ask for an election, but I you know I think the smart thing would be to try to you know push as much of his 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 uh, agenda forward with uh, with as little compromise as possible if he really wanted to force an election, anyway, but that's that's a little bit more of a long game. And like you said, the problem is, you know, you're going to have a hard time finding something that you can't command a majority on, especially with the other parties broken in the toilet, um, uh, you know, to force them to 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 bring down the government at this point. And and the liberals right now too, you know, they're they're high in the polls, but you know, the, they're, they've actually had a pretty good history, uh, a legislative history, because um, they, you know, childcare is that was that was the stick that uh, especially the NDP used to beat the Liberals up with every single election, saying you promised childcare, you never delivered it. You promised childcare, you know, well, you've been promising this back from like 2002. Well, they're delivering on it now. They've uh, got a bunch of provinces that have signed up for it. Pharmacare, they're starting to get provinces signing up for Pharmacare now. And, you know, the COVID relief has done really well. So, you know, the Liberals have got a really good legislative uh, record to go into an election with. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a time in my memory when opposition parties were so reluctant 
to have an election called. You know, there I've never seen parties run scared like this before. Uh, usually, after this much time of a uh, minority government, the party that has been propping up the government is usually champing at the bit to have an election so they can claim credit for all the things that were done while they were propping up the government. Uh, and sometimes it works, often it does not. But I can't remember in recent memory a time when the opposition parties weren't constantly saying, you know, Trudeau needs to go, we need to get rid of the liberals. They might say it in some of their, their fundraising brochures, but none of them mean it. It's, no. uh, it's an interesting position that Trudeau's in. And if, if I were him, I would do what Harper did, which is govern like you've got a majority. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, and it's, it's really strange because uh, Erno O'Toole came out with a, a video uh, against a new election, basically saying like, this is no time to be having an election. And basically saying like, you know, this is not the time to, to, to turn your back on Trudeau. Uh, you know, it's like, it's working. He's, he's doing a good job. I mean, I don't think that's what he meant to say, but that's essentially what he was saying in this, this heartfelt video about now is not the time for an election. It's like, okay, well, why is it not now the time for election? Because things are going well. And again, the letter from Jagmeet Singh uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm sure that, that, that his own party leaked um, on Monday the letter to Trudeau, uh, where he pledged his, the, you know, the NDP was ready to work with a liberal minority government on government on legislation they deem important, and uh, you know this is uh, you know new Democrats are ready to return to Parliament and keep fighting for Canadians. So let's you know let's work together, kind of thing. And it's just, but you know you know but in typical NDP fashion, the second half of the letter was all about uh, you know but uh, you you people. You know, you liberals, though, you know, we're willing to work with you, but you guys are 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 terrible. You've done all kinds of awful stuff. And, uh, you know, all the good legislation is, is a result of us, not a, a result of you. And we're taking credit for all the stuff that has gone through. And, you know, you guys and we charity and, you know, it, it's not it's not like they're saying, like, look, there's stuff we can probably agree on and we should work on that stuff uh, together. And there's stuff we're not going to agree on, and that's for another day. Uh, instead, you know, it's like, well, you know, don't call the election. We'll we'll work with you on the stuff we think is important. But uh, you know, you guys are still pretty terrible. Yeah, that <laughs> that's not how to win friends and influence people. Uh, to to because on one hand, you're saying you don't want an election, which means you think that things are acceptable as they are. And then in the uh, right following it, another paragraph, you're saying things aren't acceptable. Well, in, in fact, you know, the, the, a direct quote from the letter is, if parliament is dysfunctional, then you yourself played a leading role in that dysfunction. It's like, wait a second. This is like, I, you know, in my before I was married, you'd have discussions with uh, with unhappy uh, girlfriends who would uh, would want to get back together with you, but would tell you everything that's wrong about you. And it's like, are you trying to get me back into this relationship or not? Because you're, you're, you're giving me all the reasons why I'm a terrible person, but, uh, but you're saying we shouldn't be breaking up. Why, you know, make, make this work for me. I want you to play along at least for a day and tell me that I'm a nice guy and uh, maybe, uh, maybe we can make this work. Yeah. It's, it's odd messaging. And it's interesting because there, there was more ferocious messaging 
uh, earlier in Trudeau's term from both opposition parties. Oh, demanding, yeah. you know, demanding all sorts of things, demanding an election, demanding Trudeau resign, demand this, that, the other thing. Um, but they've just become meeker and meeker uh, over time. And as the, you know, the country is facing what some say we're already in, which is a fourth wave, uh, probably it wouldn't go well with Trudeau calling an election now. He can very much justify saying we, you know, we were going to, but we have to put our attention towards this fourth wave. I think that if he called an election during a fourth wave, that would go against him. I don't think that it's the uh, clear sailing that he had predicted. Before. If he'd called this election and it had it already, then that would have been one thing. I think that their numbers would have held steady. But if they call an election now with all this discussion of a fourth wave, I think people are going to punish them by saying this wasn't the time you should be leading, not trying to increase your political strength. So I, I am split as to whether I think there's going to be an election call or not. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I'm sure there's polling out there somewhere that, that, you know, that is being done probably updated hourly about how much of a, of a fall off is there going to be from the people who are mad that you've called an early election? You know, is it 5%? Is it 3%? Is it 20%? You know, how much would the liberals lose uh, to the people who say this is an unnecessary election? And is there still enough left over to make a majority? And, you know, where do the, where do those votes, you know, end up too? Because, you know, if it's all in Alberta, then, you know, uh, you know, that (laughs) there's, uh, there's not a lot of seats to lose out there anyway. So, but, uh, but if you're finding it in the bread and butter vote areas uh, for uh, that are, you know, vote rich for liberals, then you got a problem. If you're, if you're just pissing off the people who aren't voting for you anyway, then maybe it isn't. And, you know, if you come up with, um, a, a couple of more kind of home run kind of things. Uh, you know, people have suggested that, uh, well, the feds have already started to talk about a, um, a federal travel vaccine passport, which, you know, we have three provinces now that have vaccine passports for the province, uh, not international travel, but, uh, you know, for, for amenities within the province, if you want to go to a gym, you want to go eat indoors at a restaurant. I mean, if you want to live a normal life and you, sh- you show the barcode, uh, and, uh, you know, you can go inside and if you don't have it, then you're sitting out on the patio and wearing a mask. Um, so if, if in November, <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you know, that's everything do, you know, it's, it's, it's 30 degrees out today, but it'll be, uh, you know, it'll be minus 20, uh, you know, soon too. the, uh, but, you know, bringing a national program saying, well, by the way, you could use our, our, uh, federal, uh, travel passport, uh, for vaccine as in within your province. Um, you know, it solves a lot of problems for the provinces you know, like on Ontario that doesn't want to have, uh, for ideological reasons, vaccine passports. So it allows them to not bring it in, but still have it. And, you know, they can blame, you know, you know to, to their core. They say, well, we didn't want this thing. We fought it. But, you know, those liberals in Ottawa imposed a vaccine passport on you. And, you know, quietly they're rubbing their hands in glee because, you know, it's what you need to open up uh, and return to a normal life. Uh, in Ontario, but they don't want to be seen to be doing that. So, you know, that could be a real winner for, uh, for the feds. People have talked about mandatory vaccinations for some uh, groups of people. Uh, you know, again, you know, the, the constitutionality of this is, is, a little, is a little iffy. 
But uh, if the Fed said, no, no, look, national emergency, uh, you know, everyone's got to get vaccinated if you want to do all this. And they're already creeping in that direction. You know, they're saying federal businesses, federally regulated businesses, which includes banks and all the rest, they can mandate uh, um, vaccinations uh, for, for workers in all of those areas. You know, if they were able to expand that out a little bit too, I think that would be incredibly popular. Again, not with the hardcore conservative group or, you know, who make up a lot of the anti-vaxxers, but it, uh, you know, those are kinds of things that could sway your, you know, the number of seats that you uh, win in an election. So, you know, it's a calculated risk at the best of times. You know, with these vaccine passports, forgive my language, but I wish the feds would shit or get off the pot. Um, I'm tired of the, this vacillating. Will they have a vaccine passport? Will they not? It's time to establish fish or cut bait. Are you going to do it or you're not going to do it? And if you're going to do it, do it. Uh, well, and I, I think most of us know it's coming. I mean, it's got to happen because, you know, this, well, let it, it happen already. It, it, yeah. You know, it should have happened already. All of this, the, the big one of the big problems during COVID has been uncertainty. And we need some surety. We need some sense of what's happening. And I think that we, what we need is not the possibility of a vaccine passport, but either it's gonna happen or it's not gonna happen. Give us an answer and, and stop being coy about the whole thing. And yeah. you know, let the chips fall where they may when the people, when, when the Canadian Civil Liberties Union uh, takes a, the government to court and individuals take the government to court and so on, um, you know, only likely to lose. Uh, it's time to, to lead and, and stop, you know, licking your finger and trying to see which way the wind is blowing. Just do it. Yeah. And, you know, and too many politicians are trying to make everybody happy and you can't do that at the time of crisis. Uh, make everybody so, happy. You're more likely to make nobody happy. Yeah. And, and, and that's what's happening because you have people who have followed the rules and, you know, mask and wash their hands and get vaccinated and all the rest. They're seeing the party really ruined by the people who refuse to get vaccinated for often no good reason, uh, you know, quite honestly, because there, there are so few medical reasons not to be uh, uh, vaccinated with uh, the, the COVID vaccines. Uh, as a matter of fact, they came out to today and just uh, declared in a study that uh, it's perfectly uh, safe for uh, women who are pregnant to be uh, fully vaccinated. They did a big, big, big study, and there are absolutely no discernible side effects for for pregnant women. So, you know, th th again, there's that uncertainty before, but, you know, there's no excuse not to do it. And, you know, I don't like needles. Well, tough. No one likes needles. I mean, you know, needles are terrible. You know, just, you know, Stop being a big baby. I hate needles. Um, I don't like tests, but if you want to get a driver's license, you got to have two of them. Yeah. You yeah. know, th this is where, where is it written that we're supposed to have a life of doing only what it is we want? Because that's not what, you know, living in a quote free country means. It doesn't mean you can do whatever the hell you want because that's not democracy. That's anarchy. And yeah. quite frankly, I'm really not enamored of anarchy. No, and those are the same people who are depending on herd immunity. Now, herd immunity is is, is an enormous myth when it comes to this. Yes. They, they're yes. starting to think like there will be no herd immunity for this, especially as we have like more virulent strains in the mutations like like Delta mm -hmm. um, and, you know, and whatever comes afterwards. I mean, you know, the way that COVID will disappear, big prediction here is the way most viruses do, which is it will mutate one extra time. 
uh, you know, when the extra time is, who knows, maybe it'll be three, three times from now, or, or maybe the next one into a less virulent form. And then it dies out. That's what happens with most major pandemics is it basically burns itself out, not because it's tired of you, but because it's mutated again and, in, and it can't find people to, to actually actively carry the virus from person to person. But the, the whole idea, you know, the people are saying, well, no, I'll just wait for herd immunity here. Uh, I won't take the vaccine. Well, there is none, but they also deny that they're part of the herd. Um, you know, if you want herd immunity, you've got to act like a herd, which means you have to look out for the herd. You have responsibilities to the herd. And one of the responsibilities is get vaccinated, especially since there's, there's no, there's, there's no idea that, you know, if you get 98% of the world, uh, world's population vaccinated, you'll still have COVID being passed around because that seems to be the nature of the thing. And it will find that 2%. Yeah. And it, and it keeps finding them. The uh, the majority of the deaths in the U.S. anyways are of the unvaccinated. Uh, big surprise. It, you know, you, you read stories about people who were anti-vaxxers, anti, you know, denying uh, COVID, and they're in the hospital dying of COVID. Like, this was real. I didn't know this was real. Why didn't anyone tell me this was real? <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, you were Been watching the news for the last year and a half? Yeah. Uh, well, not not our news sources anyway. They're watching OAN and Fox News and all the rest, who yeah. were finally come around to saying, no, look, this is real people. Go get yourself vaccinated. Yeah, they're, they're spending their time watching Mike Lindell. Yes, you know, they got a great pillow to, to you know, spend their last moments on. <laughs> uh, I wondered with this fourth wave, as you know, I've said on this program that I don't think people are willing to surrender to a, a big lockdown again. I just think that, first of all, the weather's good right now, and it'll probably sustain if, it, if it's like the previous years. September will be like a long August. Um, I don't think that people are willing to have stores shut down completely, industries shut down completely, being told to stay indoors, being told you can only hang around with people within your bubble. I think that this fourth wave is going to have to be managed very differently because people's tolerance has run out. Yeah, I, it, it, it gets harder and harder with every lockdown because, you know, polit you know politically, and, and you shouldn't ever approach a public health crisis with politics, but politically it gets really hard for a government to shut things down. Um, you know, I think the, the, the feds are better at it um, because they tend to be a little bit more nannyish. Uh, but the, uh, you know, the provincial government is, hey, you know, it's up to you, whatever you think, and, you know, use your, you know, I, I hate that uh, you know when it comes to the vaccination pro uh, programs they say well do your research and then go get vaccinated it's like no don't do your research you're not an epidemiologist you're not a virologist your research is useless go get vaccinated and trust the people who are telling you to get it done yeah and whatever research you do as you point out you can't correctly assess you haven't the background for it so when you're getting incorrect information it, you can't really determine if it is correct or incorrect. You haven't got the requisite knowledge tools to be able to discern fact from fiction. So just this assumption that the government somehow wants to control us uh, into getting this vaccine, there's really no upside for the government. It's all downside. Yeah. There's, <laughs> there's no upside. There's, the government is not does not want our freedom. There's no upside. That, they got you know, other things to do. When, when the government wants your freedom, they 
they do different the kind of things you see in authoritarian regimes. They don't tell you to to uh, to get a needle so that you don't spread a disease or a sickness. They the, there's there's no upside to governments uh, for COVID. Uh, there's or with COVID, there's no upside. There is no benefit to the government. All it is is detriments. It it, it drains federal coffers. It creates massive deficits. It uh, it, it it hampers uh, the economy in greater and lesser degrees, depending on how much is locked down or not locked down. It increases senses of isolation and uh, mental health crises. There is nothing in this that benefits the government. There is no control mechanism that benefits, like the idea that they're doing this for shits and giggles just to prove they've got power is insane. There is zero benefit. I'm certain that, that governments around the world wish they had never heard the term COVID wish they'd never had to deal with this. So the people who think that they're be, we're being told by some cabal of evil epidemiologists and politicians who want us to put something foreign in our body for some macabre uh, amusement, like this is the thing that, that doesn't translate. Okay, you think they want us to, they've got some plot to have us get vaccinated. What are they getting out of it? Yeah, what's the end game here? <laughs> yeah, and the, there is no answer. The answer is yeah. they want control of what to do what. Yeah, to you know, to make us wear, wear a mask means you can what control us to do the government's bidding. I'm not sure that's the way that like, works. Yeah, we don't. It doesn't go from wearing a mask to uh, being disappeared in the middle of the night as a political dissident or being forced to dig ditches. It's there's just no logic behind the other side they they use terms that are used in logic but they don't use them to create logic the, it's it's logic adjacent but very far <laughs> adjacent um you know very distant it, it's it's maddening and as i mentioned to you you know there's there's people in my family or I'm close to who stunned me by being uh believers in the the steel and believers in, uh, you know, that, that vaccines are not tested enough and shouldn't be used. We're, we're not guinea pigs, like just all of it. And it makes it very difficult to maintain relationships because there's a fundamental degree of respect for intelligence that has gone away. And how do you relate to them in the same way when? they believe something you think is utterly foolish and you know that they're smart enough to think their way out of it, but just haven't. No. And, you know, and, and some of this involves math. I mean, there is, there's a thing going around in, in, in anti-vax circles right now about, uh, about, well, look at the numbers of people who are vaccinated, who are getting coronavirus, you know, they're, you know, they're starting to you know, show the breakthrough numbers uh, where the virus is broken through uh, the, you know, even double vaxxed people. And, you know, that's, that's the nature of, of the Delta variant is that it is, uh, it is far more infectious because it actually, uh, it, it's like concentrated. It, uh, it uh, reproduces a lot faster inside the system. So you get this, this almost super uh, dose of, of, the, uh, of the virus in you and it will overwhelm. I mean, those people still aren't dying uh, or even being hospitalized, but the numbers are going up. 
but you know it is a, it's a it's a fallacy um, of mathematics because you know it's called the base rate fallacy. Yeah, and I saw the best example of it was a, an Ottawa um, virologist who said, "Okay, think of it this way: if 100% of people wear seat belts, crash fatalities will be fewer, but 100% of fatalities will be among people who wear seat belts yes. because everyone's wearing a seat belt." You can't say, "Oh, well, look, you know, people are still dying." It's just like, no, it doesn't mean that seatbelts don't work. Uh, so, you know, if we have a hundred percent of vaccination rate, infections will still be fewer because it doesn't actually stop you necessarily from getting the disease; it just controls the symptoms. But a hundred percent of the people who get the disease would still be vaccinated. So you can't say, "Well, look, you know, there's no point in being vaccinated because vaccinated people are among the people who are getting it." Also, you know, the vaccinated people are a much smaller, uh, uh, the unvaccinated are a smaller percentage of the population but they account for a far greater proportion of the people who are, as the United States is finding out, dying of this. Uh, you know, the numbers are, are incredible. They say the people admitted to ICUs in the United States are almost 100% unvaccinated people. Um, uh, I think you know, most of them are actually 100% unvaccinated people because the vaccinated people don't, don't go to the ICU because they don't get as sick. Um, that, you know, that's really where it is, but still they'll point to these sort of phony statistics because they don't understand numbers saying, well, look, you know, vaccinated people are getting it too. So there's no point in me getting vaccinated. No, it doesn't work that way. It, the attempts at uh, consequence, at understanding cause and effect during this uh, pandemic, the abuse of cause and effect has been staggering. And I'll be curious to see if we are, in fact, some suggest we're already in the fourth wave. Um, I'll be curious to see what steps governments take, because I'm sure I'm not the only person who feels that, who's noted the, the, the tone of people and feels that you can't do what you did before going forward. You're going to have to take a different approach, a more uh, measured approach to shutdowns and so on. I'm curious to see what response the government will give us. And, and this is something we'll be discussing in uh, in the weeks to come. No doubt. No doubt. All right, Stephen, thank you again for uh, your contributions. Always enjoy hey. talking to you. Yeah, it's always a pleasure. And Stephen Lawton's can be found on Twitter at Stephen Lawton's, which is S-T-E-P-H-E-N-L-A-U-T-E-N-S. And uh, we have a Facebook page. You can find the Stephen and Stephen Facebook page. Feel free to contribute or send Stephen some comments on his uh, Twitter account. And I encourage you to follow his Twitter account because it's uh, quite erudite and amusing. Um, A lot to live up to. (laughs) Well, you do it. (laughs) And uh, that's it. Uh, He's Stephen Lawton's. I'm Stephen Kersner. And this has been Stephen and Stephen.